Hello, ladies and gents, Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I've got special guest Insima Inyang on the line. He is the co-host of the Mark Bell's Power Project podcast. He's also just a freaking awesome dude. We talked about bodybuilding. He was a WNBF pro bodybuilder. He is a WNBF pro bodybuilder. He's also a awesome powerlifter, and he's been getting deep, deep, deep into Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and he's just totally kicking butt there. And I've had an interest in jiu-jitsu, so we talked about that quite a bit. We talked about some mindset as well. We didn't really get into nutrition because uh, we just kept going deeper into all the other subjects. But I've got a lot of respect for this guy. He's just a freaking he's a freak of nature from a physical standpoint, but he's also just incredibly intelligent and respectful and just a good human being. So lots of respect for this guy. Really, really enjoyed the conversation. I know you will as well. Without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy. And Seema, how are you, man? Doing well, Robert. How are you? I'm doing wonderfully well myself. Where, where are you located at, brother? Sacramento, California. Sacramento, California. Are all the gyms closed down there still? Yeah, super training here. We're all so closed, but um, yeah, uh, everything is pretty much closed. Actually, oddly enough, there are a few gyms out here like California Family Fitness and a few others that are allowing people to train outside. So the gym has been taken outside. It's pretty interesting. You see all the treadmills, all the weights. It's like uh, it's almost like Venice, mm-hmm. like gold Venice, <laughs> where everything's outside. It's good. Yeah, it's uh, similar to that. I've seen a bunch of gyms like leasing out their equipment for anybody that wants to pay a pretty hefty rental fee. But I mean, it's 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 kind of crazy. I feel like so fortunate to have my own gym compound here at the warehouse that I'm at. But I can't imagine. I see you doing a bunch of like at home workouts and still killing it despite the gyms closing. Yeah, I was. I was doing a lot of kettlebell at home stuff. Um, I still do some of that, but luckily jujitsu is kind of open back up. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the schools opened up for uh, people that are already members, so no new individuals can come in and train. So I've been doing that, and that's been scratching my itch because for the for a few months, like like three or three, yeah, three or four months, BJJ was closed, and I I love that sport. So I'm happy that I have that back. Very fortunate. I definitely, definitely want to pick your brain on the jujitsu. But before I dive too deep into that, can I get like just a background, man? Like for anybody that doesn't know you, isn't familiar with you and your brand, just kind of give us some backstory. Like what got you into the fitness space in the first place? Yeah. Well, okay. Let me try and make this very compact and succinct. I started off as a soccer player when I was six. I played soccer for 15 years, mm-hmm. got injured in college. But through that period, I also uh, started training in the gym around when I was 13 because I had an injury from soccer. Uh, kept doing that even as I played in college. Um, and once I stopped in college, like a few after that, a few years after that, I, I did my first few bodybuilding shows, got my pro card in the WNBF, uh, INBA, a- and NGA. There are multiple natural organizations, but the WNBF is like the best, the best out of all. Mm-hmm. So I was a pro, went to Worlds as a pro, got fifth in the heavyweights. Uh, started powerlifting. I think my best total was 1758. Yeah, 1758. Um, so I did some of that and then I started doing jujitsu. Uh, I've competed at Worlds as a blue belt and got second. So that was awesome. And uh, yeah, now I just uh, I coach powerlifters, bodybuilders, general athletes, or just people trying to drop weight. And uh, I coach jujitsu jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu athletes as far as strength is concerned. I just I like meshing all these sports. It's fun. 
Yeah, man, it's 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 interesting because I've always you know been into bodybuilding. I've I've loved bodybuilding. It's kind of my identity, but I haven't deviated too far from that for fear of it just distracting me from the bodybuilding endeavors. So it's it's pretty cool to see you you know have like a multifaceted approach to several different you know sports. Uh, so in that, like, how did you? justifying your mind transitioning from one or the other without feeling like you were going to be distracting from the original you know i kind of uh with bodybuilding and powerlifting though there there was there was minimal distraction there actually the powerlifting really did aid my bodybuilding mm -hmm. uh, trying to focus on certain movements and getting stronger and i think the big thing that made it not detract from my bodybuilding is that i still made sure to do all of my bodybuilding work right i think one of the things that people for some reason think is that uh, if you're doing powerlifting, you can't really gain a lot of muscle. Like you, like most powerlifters, because of the nature of the, 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 the slowness that they train, you mm -hmm. know, um, they, they do their big lifts and then they'll spend very minimal time on their accessories, like their, their biceps, shoulders, all those little muscle groups. They won't spend much time on trying to progress them. When I started doing powerlifting for the you know sake of competing and gaining strength, I still made sure to do. I spent like still forty five minutes to an hour on those smaller accessory movements after my powerlifting workout, because I wanted to make sure that I was still gaining muscle. And it added. I gained a good amount of size by uh, really gaining strength in my deadlift and my squat, and my bench. It really helped me as a bodybuilder. Um, so I don't think there should be necessarily any drawback from doing powerlifting as a bodybuilder. I think you can see that a lot in a lot of uh, other guys you see on social media. Um, you see a lot of powerlifters that are super jacked but are still really strong nowadays. You, I mean, you, you don't see, well, you do see fat powerlifters, but you're starting to see a lot of jacked ones. Like a, a great example, I always bring this guy up because he's awesome, uh, Russell Orhe or Russ Swole. Oh yeah, man, uh, freaking beast. He's a beast. You know, he's done a bodybuilding show when she killed, but you know, he's been focusing on powerlifting. But you know, he, when he posts his workouts, you see he he does his flies, he does his curls, he does his Arnold presses, he does all these different movements to progress them as he's gaining strength. And I mean, yeah, he does have great genetics. That's so not. And he's you know, younger than us. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think Russ is like 24, 25. Right? It's crazy, man. Uh, but like the amount of work he still puts into those bodybuilding movements, it, 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 it adds. I think powerlifting and bodybuilding are super synergistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jiu-Jitsu mix. It, it, <laughs> that, uh, there's where what you mentioned kind of happens a little bit. Yeah. So on the, before I get into the Jiu-Jitsu, with the, with the bodybuilding and powerlifting, I feel, like, I feel like you're right. There's definitely a, been a shift, whereas more powerlifters are recognizing that they don't have to be just massively heavy and overweight in order to be competitive in the sport of powerlifting. I feel like, mm -hmm. I don't know, I feel like if you put enough time into it, you can do both and they should be synergistic in nature because, and if you're, if you're, you know, way overweight, then your cardiovascular system is not going to be in check. And you're not going to be able to perform any degree of, you know, taxing the muscle like you should with regard to your heavy compound lifts. Like if you're gassed at you know, three reps on squats, and that's just not going to bode well for putting on the most muscle possible from a bodybuilding standpoint. Yep, exactly. Like it's that that's the thing. But I think um, you know, in the sport of powerlifting, when you look at when you look at you know through the years, um, there there was an idea that if you want to be strong, you have to be as heavy as you can possibly be, and you just got to do whatever you got to do to get that heavy. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you know, especially for individuals that are that are focusing on bodybuilding um, and that are taking an extended off season. I think that, you know, if, especially if you're a natural bodybuilder, 
there's really not much you can do in a six month of a gaining period. Like yeah. uh, I think that after your last show, you should be taking probably a year, hopefully maybe a year and a half as an off season. It seems long to a lot of nat natural bodybuilders, but that's why some people come back to the stage looking the exact same way they did previous season. And some people actually come looking like they've made improvements because they take extended off seasons. And in that extended off season, that's when you can hit the platform. That's when you can use that time to gain strength, gain size, not get bored because you can compete and do some powerlifting meets. And then boom, after you've taken that off season, you can now uh, go back, get cut, get lean and, and get yourself ready for a bodybuilding show again. I'm really glad you say that, man. Like I've, I've been preaching that message for years and it's like more people need to say it because it's so true. I mean, you see a lot of competitors, you know, competing every year. And as a natural athlete, I mean, I don't know about you, but my preps are typically four to six months long. And then I spend mm -hmm. the next four to six months reverse dieting, getting back to maintenance. So there's a year right there. And then if you were to transition right into another prep, I mean, there's zero time to put on any, you know, significant amount of lean mass. And if you don't look any better the next year, then what's the point? Yeah. Yeah. My last prep back in, it's been, I think the last time I hit the stage was in 16 late 2015 or 16, but that total prep was around 40 weeks. Mm -hmm. I was pretty lean about 28 weeks in, like I still did a show. Um, but my, the, like it took me another 12 weeks to, to lose that last bit of body fat I need to lose. Um, so it was 40 weeks. Right. Uh, and, and yeah, like that, that's the thing. I think, um, one reason why powerlifting can be so beneficial for uh, bodybuilders is just because it gives you something to do with that extended off season. One big reason why competitors uh, feel that they got to hit the stage every single year is because they, they get bored. They get bored training and progressing and not having a, a goal that's super close at that point in time. They just get really, they get really bored. They're like, okay, you know what? It's time to cut and, and uh, get on stage again. And then the, the second big thing is that people just miss being super lean. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to get to this, this crazy looking body. You know, everyone's looking at you like, they're like, God dang, you're so lean. That's insane, blah, 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 right? And you hit, you hit the stage and then you have to kind of get rid of that body because it's not the healthiest to be that lean. Totally. And, you know, you, you're not there for that long. So I can understand it, but, you know, you got to be able to let go of it <laughs> if you want to make any progress. I think it's it's like a like a mentality almost. Like people don't want to look at it from a long enough game approach to be excited about only competing every couple of years. I mean, I typically take two or even three years off in the off season. I mean, I, I leaned down for 2020 competition and then all the shows got canceled. So it's like the last time I stepped on stage was 2017. So it'll probably be 2024, 2025 before I step on stage again. And people, I feel like they need something to be pushed. And if they're not stepping on stage every year, doing something every year, that just, they get lazy. So I think having a something, whether it be like the powerlifting, I think that'd be a great outlet to keep that you know, competitive juices flowing. Definitely. And you know what? I, I will say this though. Um, I've been seeing, I, I know a few guys that are bodybuilders that have taken up cycling, you mm -hmm. know, because they, they want to just do something more and, and not because of Corona and that they can't compete just because you know, they, they want to do something to get a little bit out of just, you know, training in the gym. Um, I know a few of them who have, you know, they have picked up martial arts. I know if you've picked up a little bit of boxing and I, I really do think that as a bodybuilder, um, there are some that can just go to the gym and train. And that, that process 
is extremely fulfilling to them because mm-hmm. we know that if you, if you like you said you gotta you gotta have the long game approach and that long game approach is getting to the gym every day you have to train doing your work and doing that day in and day out and you gotta like that process because that's the process that's going to get you towards whatever goal you have as far as competing is but if you're doing that and it's just you're you're truly in your heart not enjoying it you need to really think okay why am i doing this is there something that i can add to this that can spice things up for me maybe i do bring powerlifting to the mix maybe that's the thing that allows me to have enjoyment in my training as i'm getting ready and as i'm doing all this bodybuilding stuff maybe i really do want to do a little bit more like cardio work and maybe i do want to get out there in the sun and and, and do something different. Maybe I'll take up some cycling. Maybe I want to train in some boxing a little bit in a way that it won't take too, away too, too much from my training, but in a way that will still allow me to enjoy what I'm doing. Uh, I think it's very possible to make progress as a bodybuilder while doing other things that some people may think is detrimental to bodybuilding. 100%, man. Like I, I got into running. I ran a marathon just on a whim and I, I decided that I was going to just start. I didn't train at all for that one. It was a bad, bad mistake. I mean, I completed it, but my my feet were killing me. But mm-hmm. since then, I've decided that, you know what, I should at any point in my life, whether I'm in the off-season or competition prep, be able to just jump up and run a few miles without it really taxing me that much. So I've since yeah. then, you know, just committed to running at least a mile, normally about one and a half or two miles every single day. And most people would not think that is really conducive to being the best bodybuilder you can be. But you know, one or two miles a day is not really going to be detrimental. And I feel like that's a good time to just disconnect, do something outside the norm. And that, that's when I listen to podcasts. That's when I listen to audiobooks. So just doing mm-hmm. something outside of the normal routine of what is quote unquote is defined as your sport, I think is, is advantageous. Of course. I, I want to give a shout out to my buddy. Cause you mentioned running, um, DJ Webb, DJ oh, yeah. WWBB. Andrew, is that how you spell his Instagram? Yeah. D- yeah. Oh yeah. You know, DJ? Yeah. Love DJ. Oh, Okay, cool. You know DJ, yeah. DJ, first off, he's super jacked, and he runs like a beast, man. Mm-hmm. He he he's he's an amazing athlete, just in general. Um, yeah, I haven't seen that guy. I miss that guy. But he's he's again one of those super jacked individuals that just can run his ass off. Like he can run for miles on end. You gotta. I don't know if he's told you any of his running and pooping stories, but they are the <laughs> funniest, nastiest things that you can absolutely ever imagine. He's done some nasty things on his runs. Because yeah. he has used the bathroom. I'll let him. <laughs> I had him on the but, podcast, but he yeah. didn't dive into that conversation. I have to bring him back for round two and, and go deep. <laughs> you definitely should. It's super enjoyable. I'll tell you that, man. Super enjoyable. You and I actually, this is the first time we've ever talked, but we know a lot of the same people from the natural bodybuilding world because I compete in WNBF as well. And like Chris Elkins, uh, all those guys. Um, yeah. I think we all run in the same circles. So, I want to talk about that a little bit. I've had Chris on the show. I, anytime I get a natural bodybuilder on the show, I just kind of want to pick their brain as to why they've opted for that route. So what what mo- motivated you to go the natural route and like stay the natural route? I don't think that anyone introduced me to the idea of drugs when I was really young. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be perfectly honest when I say that. Um, because like when I was training uh, you know, through the gym when I was a teenager, uh, I was a soccer player. And the, the, when I got into training, I was training because I got an injury like Oshkut Slaughter in my knees. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't run for like three years. So the only thing I was able to do from the age of 13 to 16, that's when I got into the gym. That's when I started training. So I got up to like 220 at 16 years old. I was pretty overweight though because I wasn't able to run. Mm-hmm. But uh, from there, I mean, I was just like watching YouTube videos, Chris Jones, the Hodge Twins, 
Back then there was Elliot Hulse and mm-hmm. all these guys were doing it without drugs. So I, I never really understood why I needed to do that um, and the depth of it until I was probably in my 20s. And then by then I was like, well, I've already been doing this for like seven, eight years. I've seen great progress. There's no reason that I, that I need to do that. Like, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. But, you know, to, to, to that point, man, I think it is really, it's really tough for younger people now. And I've talked about this on other podcasts before um, that are getting into training and that are also on social media because I didn't have Instagram when I started training. So I wouldn't have gone to a guy like Chris Jones page and look through the comments of everyone says, oh, he's on roids, blah, blah, blah. And at 13 year old, 13 years old, you're like, oh, what's that? And then you see that steroids can get you big pretty fast. And then you see all these other YouTube channels of guys talking about the cycles that they're on and how, like, how, how much muscle they've gained. I think that if I were younger and I was introduced to that, shoot, maybe I would have done it because I, I, I wouldn't have known any better. So I, I honestly just think I'm lucky that I didn't know any better and that I just gave myself the time because like, I mean, eight years in, I, I was able to just train blindly for that amount of time, which most people, that's not what they're willing to do. Um, so, and then also like, there's all the, there's all the health risks of it, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that I just don't think it's necessary, especially when you've given yourself the time to train, but that right there these days is the conundrum for a lot of people, especially if you start training late and you are, I guess, uh, you're not as blind to it. You're like, do I want to train or consistently for five, 10, 15 years to, to look this way? Or do I want to just take something that could maybe get me there in two or three years? Right. Really good point, man. Like if you, there's like a threshold where if you train natural for long enough, that like becomes your identity and you're significantly less likely to deviate from that. I mean, I yeah. I started lifting, I think when I was a junior in high school and at that time, that's when like the Chris Jones, the, like all those were, were really getting popular. They were, it was, it was a weird time. I think early two thousands, because that's when natural bodybuilding was like a cool thing. And it had like this mm-hmm. cult following and I fell into that crowd and that just became my norm. Now it's like, I, I, there's definitely still natural bodybuilding, but I don't feel like it's, it's garnished that same kind of cultish, you know, momentum that it had back then. I feel like it's kind of slipped and people just pay to see the freaks. And that's, that's been gaining more momentum probably because of social media. You know, I, 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 I get what you're saying, but I would slightly dis, I would, the, the only word, place I would disagree is that I do think natural bodybuilding has still been growing. Mm-hmm. Albeit has been growing slower <laughs> yeah. than, than the freaks. Um, because it's definitely more popular now. It's just the, 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 the speed at which it's been growing doesn't match. Yeah. So we, we don't understand, but like when you have guys like, uh, Kendall, um, what's his name? Uh, Kendall just won. He just won WMBF Worlds. Yeah, last yeah. Year. I don't. I don't know his last name. But I know you're talking about. Looks amazing. Yeah, yeah. He he's freakish symmetry, um, and and just he just looks amazing. But when you have like guys like that, Chris Elkins, mm-hmm. who's pop, who's also like he's one of the more uh, popular natural athletes at this point. When you have people like that talking about it, and even though people don't believe them, people still are like, yeah, you know what. I, I can do this when, when they're popularizing that sport in that way, it is definitely growing. It's just growing slower. Yeah. Um, and, and then again, I think social media has brought a big change to the mentality of younger lifters because, you know, 
not just like lifters, but anything in general, when it comes to being successful, when it comes to making money, when it comes to getting bigger, um, when you see other people that have it right then and there, everybody wants to try and figure out what is the fastest, easiest way that I can have what they have and do what they're doing and get what they're getting. Um, and be, I was just lucky enough not to be on social media at the time that I was blindly lifting weights because I think it, it, it does make a very big difference for people deciding, should I take the route of using roids and doing that? Or should I just continue lifting until I get to where I want to be? Um, so, yeah. yeah I, I agree, man. I think uh, you know, social media is double-edged sword for sure. I mean, you can you can spread a, a message much more efficiently than you ever could before, but this fake it till you make it mentality that runs rampant on social, I feel like has a very negative net effect i mean i as far as business is concerned i've always kind of admired like gary vaynerchuk's approach to it of just like documenting the journey like when you are sucking in the very beginning like document that put that out there and let people see where you came from rather than trying to boast and, and fake this facade uh so i've always kind of had that mentality towards business and bodybuilding and just content creation in general but i feel like you know it's much easier and it's much more appealing you get you get those initial likes that adrenaline high from that fake it till you make it approach of course of course and, and, and yeah no it's um I, even like years ago even i like i felt that way before too especially about like business and stuff when i'd see certain people doing things I'd be like damn why why am i not there how the hell did like there would be this jealousy that comes up but then i have to i had to catch myself and be like yo pause first off good on this person but secondly, like I, I could, I could figure this out. I can learn from what they're doing here. It, it's social media isn't bad. Yeah. It's just as humans, we're, we weren't necessarily taught how to use it the right way. Mm -hmm. We we still don't know how to use it the right way. Um, but it can definitely be a massive positive. We, we just gotta we gotta control it a little bit more. We gotta we gotta control how we let it affect us. Let me put it that way. Hundred percent, man. That, that's why it's it's cool to see people that are confident enough in who they are as an individual that the content they put out is just totally transparent and genuine and you know it's coming from a good place like you know i was stalking you you on instagram prior to this podcast and it's like your your message is very unique to you like i i can't scroll down your feed and say okay this guy's trying to emulate so and so it's like no this is who you are and you're confident who you are and that that's empowering yeah, that's good to hear. I'm happy I come across that way, not like a douche. Yeah, yes. <laughs> for sure, man, for sure. Um, let's talk about jiu-jitsu. I've, I've always wanted to get into jiu-jitsu. I fully intend to pull the trigger on it uh, after we move next year, but yeah. I have not done it yet. So for you, you know, coming from a bodybuilding powerlifting style background, what compelled you to go that route, and how do you juggle the two? Or the three, I yeah. guess. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the big reason why I got into it is because like, like I said at the beginning, I played soccer for like 15 years. So I was used to running around, moving my body, doing all of that. And when, when I got injured and I couldn't really do that anymore, first off, I got super depressed. But when I found like powerlifting and when I, when I just delved deeper into lifting, it kind of it, it scratched that itch for a while. But then I was just like, Again, I was just feeling like, man, I have to figure out something I can do to move. Like, I really want to do something. So I was thinking of doing some boxing, but I was like, mm, your boy doesn't want to get hit like that. So then uh, a friend of mine was like, hey, have you ever thought of grappling? I was like, uh, what? 
like BJJ. I'm like, oh, is that the UFC thing? <laughs> that that was my first thing. Is that like what they do in UFC? I was so ignorant, bro. Um, <laughs> but then I, I I took a look at it. I went to the first class, and immediately I was like, I, I gotta do this. I really gotta do this. So yeah, I started doing jujitsu. I fell in love with it. Um, and uh, I think let me first talk about the way it affected bodybuilding. Um, I and as I was doing it. I enjoyed progressing at jujitsu more than I enjoyed. Um, like I still love the gym absolutely, but I enjoy training in jujitsu more than I enjoy training in the gym. Mm -hmm. I, I, I figured that out a few months in. So with that being said, I was okay with going all in on my jujitsu training and training four to seven days a week and backing off of my training volume in the gym to just make sure that I maintained as much strength as possible and maintained as much muscle as possible. So like with the way I've been going about it, my frequency of jujitsu training is so high that the main thing I can really do is maintain some lifts and progress very, very slowly on others. Um, but the cool thing is through these four years, I haven't, I haven't gotten any smaller. Mm -hmm. Um, like I'm leaner, I'm much leaner, but the thing about it, the funny thing is and I, I've, when I was on stage in 2016 at WNBF Worlds, I was 229 pounds and probably 6%, I'd say, yeah, I'd say probably 6%. Right now I'm a cool 246 and probably around 9%, anywhere between eight to 11% body fat at 246. And how tall and are that's you? What you're I'm 6'2". 6 6'2", two. Six two. okay. Uh, you know what? No, let me rewind. My girlfriend would make me say I'm six one. I'd like to believe <laughs> I'm six two, but she would make me say I'm six one. So I'm just gonna be perfectly transparent. To some people, I'm six one. To me, on the inside, in the heart, I'm six two. That's funny, man. My wife says that I'm five seven when I always claim to be five eight. So I guess why that do women that do way? that to us? Can we first talk about that. Let, let, we'll come back to the jujitsu. But why do they really try to literally bring us down? How tall is your wife? <laughs> Huh? How tall is your wife? Oh no, she's she's my girlfriend. She's uh she's five nine. I'm not gonna take away from her because she says she's five nine, so she's five nine. <laughs> See, it's funny because because my wife is about the same. I mean, she's like five six, I think. So yeah, like five seven. I mean, we're pretty close. Like depending on what shoes we're wearing, you know, that, that can make the difference right there. So I like to just give myself that advantage and say I'm an extra inch, but I guess it just doesn't fly that way sometimes. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. She's always trying to take away, but I will say like my legs have, my legs have gotten like my, in bodybuilding. My legs have always been my strong point, my mm -hmm. legs and my back. My legs have lost a little bit of size, size that I can gain back if I increase my training volume, my legs. Um, but everything else has pretty much stayed the same. And so, like, I think I'm a little bit bigger now. Um, so it's, I think that if you're someone who wants to pull the trigger on jujitsu, right? First off, you should, and you need to start off slow. You can easily do jujitsu twice a week, progress, and still make progress in the gym as far as strength and, and, and muscle gain is concerned. Mm -hmm. You could even increase your frequency, but then you just have to, um, if you did three days a week or four days a week of jujitsu, you just then have to control your intensity of training. Because in all jujitsu classes, there's a, a phase of uh, um, tr like doing the drill that your instructor shows you. So you're drilling a certain technique. And then there's a certain phase of sparring where maybe you'll have five, six minutes rounds of sparring. Well, maybe in those sparring rounds, you kind of 
take it a little bit slower. You or you don't do all of it. Maybe you do three sparring rounds of six minutes. If you do that, there should be absolutely no reason why you can't still uh, progress as far as strength. You can't still progress uh, in the gym as a bodybuilder. Um, there should be no reason you can't do that. There are some other factors that I think uh, people will take should take into account when they're doing jujitsu that I can talk about. Um, but I, I I believe it's truly possible. Is the limiting factor like a recovery thing? Is that like if you're going all out, you know, four plus days a week in jujitsu, are you just not getting ample recovery to really go out and have that same intensity with the training, or, is, or what's the limiting factor? So, you know, when you think back to the first time you started lifting in the gym. Uh, you got sore so often. You know, mm -hmm. I, I remember like getting sore at like every single day in the gym. And then after a few, a few years, I, I could train. I'd be sore, but it wasn't debilitating to where I couldn't train the next day. It's like my, my ability to handle that training volume just increased over time because I was getting better at what I was doing. It's the same exact thing with jujitsu. Uh, you're doing all of these different movements, putting your body in all of these different positions that potentially you've never put yourself in. You've never had to do certain things crouched and on your knees and on your back. And your body is like, what the hell is going on? So there's this initial period of your body adapting to the different types of movements you're putting yourself in. And you'll feel super sore. So, so there's, that, there's that period. It could be three months. It could be six months um, of just getting used to the different type of body movements. Uh, and then there's also the, the, the period of learning how to breathe. Mm -hmm. um, and the breathing aspect of things in jujitsu, I think is, I've talked about this in, in, in videos too. We've had on, Mark's, on Mark Bell's Power Project, we had Patrick McEwen. And, and, but in jujitsu, it's super important because it's a martial art where it's, it can be very uncomfortable. You know, you got people's sweat from their beard getting in your mouth. You sometimes have somebody's butt in your face because they choose to put you in that position. Um, it could be very, very uncomfortable. And with that being said, most people, when trying to push themselves out of a bad position, hold their breath. Now, if you imagine you're trying to do some bicep curls and you're holding your breath through the whole set, you would feel like crap after that set. Mm -hmm. But we don't do that, right? We, of course we don't do that because you know we're not stressed out. We, we, we know that we need to breathe if we're going to be able to do this set and recover. That's the same thing with jujitsu, but you're going to end up doing that without really thinking about it a lot through each session. So if you're holding your breath without even realizing it through multiple sessions of jujitsu, you're going to feel even more strained. But then that's where you have to get used to breathing. You have to get used to breathing when being put in really bad situations. And that'll, allow, that'll really hasten your recovery. It'll make it a lot faster, but it's just something that you got to learn how to do. That's why I think nasal breathing is so important. But the breathing aspect of things in terms of jujitsu, I think, makes a massive difference. As I've as I've told other jujitsu athletes that I've noticed um, have breathing problems, as I've told them to try to focus on their nasal breathing, after a few months, they've noticed that their recovery has improved, their uh, their uh, endurance has improved. It makes a big difference. And then, yeah, just the adaptation period, just like with anything, whether you're starting as a bodybuilder or a powerlifter, you just got to give yourself time to adapt to the stress. Totally, man. The breathing is is interesting because that's like a like a 2.0 or 3.0 version of pretty much every sport. I feel like most people give that a, you know, it's an afterthought, but it has such a, such a significant impact on whatever it is you're doing. I mean, powerlifting, bodybuilding, all of that. Like if you don't get your breathing in check, you're just selling yourself short on how fast you can recover and how fast you can, or how intense you can train that set. 
Yeah, man. You know, dude, I really like when I look at what, um, I guess how I'm doing jujitsu nowadays. Uh, I first off, I don't ever get gassed. I'm mm-hmm. I'm big, but I I have more endurance than pretty much everybody I train with. And I know that sounds like an asshole thing to say, but it's true because I've gotten my breathing under control. But the thing is, I wish that I knew this when I was playing soccer. Like when I was playing soccer, and I, I look at the way that our coaches had us breathing as we were doing all these drills, and even the way I was breathing. Man, if if I just knew how to control my breathing and breathing through my nose, like you you look at high level sprinters and runners, high level guys, they're always breathing through their nose typically uh, until they get really stressed and their mouth would drop open. But when I was playing soccer, man, my mouth was open a lot just because like I thought I had to get all in that that breath through my mouth when I was when I was running. But if I just knew how to do that, I would have had so much more endurance in that sport because that was one of my weaknesses uh, in soccer. I was really, really fast, like straight line speed, but I didn't have the gas tank. And I always thought that because I was big, that was an excuse for me to be the guy without the gas tank. Mm-hmm. Then I, I, I learn about, I, I'm trying to remember, who did I learn about nasal breathing from? I think it was, I, I read Patrick McEwen's book and then that's when I started implementing it. I learned about that. I started doing it and it was just like all this endurance appeared out of nowhere after a few months. Uh, I just really like, I really do think that that is kind of like a secret weapon that people, it, because it's just breathing, it's easy to just look over it and be like, ah, this isn't important. It's not that big of a deal. It won't make that big of a difference. Mm-hmm. But when it's implemented, it's like a it's like a magic trick. It makes no sense to me. So are you inhaling through your nose and exhaling through your mouth, or is it inhale and exhale all through the nose? I'm inhale. I'm, I'm breathing through my nose pretty much the whole time. There there are times when like. If I've been rolling for a long time, right, and we've been going at it hard and we're scrambling, my mouth will drop open a little bit to get some extra breaths in. But that's like that. That is like you, you're when looking at it, it's not like you want to keep your mouth. You have to keep your mouth closed the whole time. Mm-hmm. But that is not the main way you want to be breathing. So, yeah, I'm breathing through my nose. And I think that if anyone wants to learn more about this, you should read The Oxygen Advantage by Patrick McEwen. But you should also go check out the subreddit, Butecchio Breathing. Um, because it's not like he uh, he popularized the Butecchio method of breathing. Um, but it's been something that people have been doing for a long time. And one of the big things that they do is that they, they concentrate on um, breath hunger. So the idea is breathing less, oddly enough. You'd think that it's be- being able to intake more oxygen, but you're actually trying to breathe slower and less. Mm-hmm. So like I'm not at this point I'm not thinking about the way I breathe, but my inhales are fairly short. So maybe I'll do like if if I'm paying attention to my breathing, I'll have a, maybe a 6 to 8 second inhale and my exhale will be usually around double that time. Hmm. So you're you're breathing slow like you're having 3 to 4 respirations or yeah, 3 to 4 total respirations every single minute. Um, but but like that helps you utilize the oxygen you're intaking better. You get better at oxygen utilization so that when you actually need to intake more, you don't get as stressed out. And one of the big things that someone who does jujitsu is going to notice when they start nasal breathing is that they'll be calmer. Because like I kind of mentioned before, in jujitsu, you'll get like, I, I'm, I'm happy I still have the videos. Uh, on my YouTube channel, I have videos of when I was a white belt getting like tapped by 
everybody, guys mm-hmm. that were like smaller <laughs> than me, there were a few girls that managed to back choke me. I ain't gonna lie, it happened. But, uh, you know, when you get in those positions where someone has you on their back and they're about to choke you out or they're mounted on top of you and you can't escape, um, you get stressed. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's instinctual to do everything you can to get that person off of you. You get stressed. But nasal breathing also helps you to calm down and stay calm in really bad situations. Um, so that's one big thing that happens. But like, yeah, the, the, if you guys want to look this up, um, Patrick McEwen's Oxygen Advantage, uh, the Butekyo method, B-U-T-E-K-Y-O method. Um, and then obviously, I think, um, you know, learning different other different ways of breathing, like the Wim Hof method is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't do much Wim Hof um, because it, it's there's nothing wrong with it. I just don't do much of it. Uh, but I, I think that that could be something massive that could help a lot of endurance athletes because I've seen it make a big difference for experienced jujitsu athletes. It is crazy, man. Like I, I watched uh, some, somebody sent me like a Wim Hof clip of some practice technique to, to work on. And mm. basically it, it just increases the oxygen, oxygenation in the blood uh, and you're able to hold your breath for significantly longer each time you cycle through it. And the first time I did it, I was holding my breath for like a minute and it was like a painful minute. And then after cycling through that whole process, like three or four times, I was holding my breath for like three plus, which is just kind of crazy when you stop and think about it. I mean, if I was to actually practice it on a regular basis, I mean, I'd be free diver status for long, you know? It's just amazing cool. how much proper breathing affects every facet of your life. Yeah, yeah. Like um, Phil DeRue, uh, he... He's, we've had him on the podcast. He's a great coach to a lot of like champion fighters. Um, uh, I messaged him because he does a lot of this type of breathing stuff for his athletes, for his fighters. And he, I did a jujitsu match. uh, I don't know. It wasn't, it definitely wasn't this year, last year against Chad, Chad Wesley Smith. And um, there was this breath hold technique that is is used within the Butekyo method or whatever. So uh, you would walk, I think you would walk 30 paces with your, you would exhale, pinch your nose, walk 30 paces. Okay. Then you'll, you'll let go of your, uh, you'll let go of your nose and you'll walk 30 more paces and breathe as slowly as possible. Then you'll exhale all your hair out again, hold your breath, walk 30 more paces. And you'll do that like for five minutes. And what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to drastically increase your red blood cell count, which will allow you to apparently like just be able to hold oxygen better. That's mm-hmm. what Phil explained it to me like. And it is pretty crazy because like like I usually don't get that tired as is, but during that match, I didn't get tired at all. <laughs> like, like I didn't get tired at all. It, it's it's what it does is it kind of um it emulates training in high altitude for a short period of time. Like that is a micro thing that'll last for about 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it'll make a big difference before you train. I don't do that. I haven't done that, I think, in a few weeks. But before matches, I'll definitely be doing stuff like that to just give me an extra edge. But again, he's another guy that focuses on his athlete's nasal breathing. It makes it, if somebody, if, if people can get a handle on that and get comfortable doing that, not just when training, but when they sleep, that's why like mouth tape is so important because you get yourself actually breathing through the nose in the six to eight hour period that you're asleep. Like I used to snore, I don't anymore. Mm-hmm. It can make a very, very, very big difference for an, an individual's endurance. Do you still tape your mouth or do you, like, have you done enough that your body's basically trained so you don't open your mouth while you sleep? So on the nights that I just forget to tape my mouth, I still, I don't snore now. I used to snore, but on the nights that I don't, 
I don't snore now. Um, but I'll, the nights that I remember, which is most nights, I will tape my mouth because inherently your mouth could drop open a little bit when you're asleep. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you are used to nasal breathing, if you've gotten used to it, then um, you'll be able to you'll be able to keep your mouth shut when you're when you're asleep and you won't snore. So I think it definitely uh, I wouldn't say to get rid of the CPAP machine, but Patrick McEwen has talked about how this has helped individuals who have sleep apnea. Um, their sleep apnea goes away after a certain point because they start actually breathing the right way. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's something that can, it's super beneficial if you're a bodybuilder, if you're a powerlifter, if you're an athlete of any kind, um, you should get that book. You should start trying to change your breathing if you haven't already. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm not ready, but I'll definitely, definitely check it out. I mean, I've got a, an aura ring and I, I'll notice that when I take my mouth before going to sleep, my rim sleep is always significantly higher so i mean it has a profound impact for sure yeah yeah it definitely does so what about uh so like jujitsu if someone's wanting to like me <laughs> get into it do you recommend going through like just kind of testing out various different academies or like how, how do you suggest someone start dipping their toe into it or just diving completely yeah so i mean i for, for me i looked up the academies in my area there's quite a few but um it, it, it I train at Cassio Wernick Jiu-Jitsu over here in Sacramento, California. And uh, the, what, what I kind of learned was Cassio was the granddaddy of Jiu-Jitsu here in, uh, in NorCal. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people that own schools were Cassio students. Um, and then when I went to Cassio's school, I saw that there were a lot of upper belts. I think that when you go to a school, a sign of a pretty good school is if they have a, a good amount of purple, brown, and black belts. You know, if you go to the school and you just see a bunch of white belts and blue belts, I don't not not saying you shouldn't train there, but it just could like you got to think about, you know, your sparring partners. Mm -hmm. You want to be able to train with upper belts. Yes, they will absolutely demolish you, uh, but they'll also be able to teach you things as you're training. Not that blue belts can't, but like upper belts will be able to show you things that you've been doing wrong. I think that's one of the big ways that. Uh, one can progress from being an absolute novice to understanding jujitsu is by, by constantly putting themselves in situations to get beat up, but then also constantly getting that, um, that, that input from an upper belt to tell you what you're doing wrong. So one big thing you got to look out for is trying to see like, cause you, you know, you'll go to a school, you watch the class, try to go to one of the classes that potentially have a lot of people and see, are there a lot of upper belts here? If there aren't, keep looking around at other schools um, and try to see it and try to find a school that has more upper belts, uh, quite a few that you'll be able to train with. Another thing to think about is like, obviously looking at the professor, you can always look at Yelp reviews and, and that type of stuff, but then, you know, figure out how long the professor has had his black belt, his or her black belt, how experienced they are. They don't need to be someone who's done a crazy amount of competitions or one worlds, although that is a plus if they've done a lot of competitions, because that's a different people competitors in jujitsu it's a different speed of jujitsu mm -hmm. um so you can find a professor that's done that but they don't necessarily have had to uh but i think the, the the biggest thing is are there a lot of upper belts there because if there are a lot of upper belts then you know that um those upper belts respect that professor you know uh or they they find the they find the teaching of that individual um beneficial right that's the fact right. that they're still there you know 
uh, or they wouldn't be. So I think that's the biggest thing. You don't want to go to a school and the, the, the highest belt you see is, is just they have one purple belt, a few blue belts, and then the professor. That's where you know, okay, maybe I should find somewhere else. It makes a lot of sense for sure. So I want to get into the, the psychology of you, man, because if you've done and gone as far as you have in natural bodybuilding with the worlds and now you're you're kicking ass with the, the jiu-jitsu, like, do you, do you feel yourself – are you the type of person that just wants to experience it all and kind of like enjoy that experience? Or are you like in your brain, are you like, I got to be the world's greatest at this thing? Like a, the <laughs> jack of all trades or master of one type? Yeah, man. Um Okay, so when I was playing soccer and I was focusing on that, my plan was to go pro. And at that time, um, the ability was there. It's just the injured, like my foot injury stopped me from being able to run. And mm-hmm. I just, I, I was never able to run normally for a few years. And that was just it. Then I, when I got into bodybuilding, right, um, I hit that as hard as I possibly could. I wanted to get as good as I possibly could because like that, that was my outlet. For me, growing up, I always had a physical outlet and this may be a partial weakness to me but when i didn't have a physical outlet that i could do um i would get pretty depressed like not 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 good i just i'd I'd turn into a shell the first experience i had with that was when i got injured at 13 years old that i mentioned Mm -hmm. um i wasn't training in the gym before that but my mom noticed that i just started to kind of just shell up wasn't talking much wasn't eating much i just kind of you know things got different. So that's when she was like, "Ah, he's got to do something. He needs to do something. So uh, when she got me into the gym, I fell in love with lifting weights at that time because I was just able to go all out. I'd watch YouTube videos. I'd go to bodybuilding.com forums. I'd go into the gym and I'd just work work things out. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, when I started doing, focusing on bodybuilding after, uh, after college and I got after, after that injury, I just went all in on it, you know, because I didn't have something else I could really do. Um, and I just learned as much as I could about it. I trained as much as I could. And as I was doing well at these shows, I was like, you know what? Let's take it. Let's let's, let's take this as far as we can right now. Um, and then, yeah, after I did Worlds, uh, I started, I think I, I met Mark a little bit, I think a little bit before Worlds, right? At, mm-hmm. at one of the expos, or maybe it was after Worlds. But he was like, hey, you live in Sacramento, right? I was like, yeah. He's like, you should come to super training. I was like, oh, dope. Right. So then I, I saw powerlifting. I'm like, this is fun. This is going to be a fun thing to do in my off season. Um, so when I started fo- like gaining strength and learning about that, I was just like, shoot, let's do some, let's, let's do a meet. And then after that, I was like, huh, I'm going to pull 800 pounds. Cause I think at that point, my, my best pool was 755. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to pull 800 pounds. But then I found jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> when I found jujitsu, I started trading. I was like, God, Dang, this is so fun. And then I was like, all right, let's let's trade this. So I think the, the big thing with me is when I like something, I'm going to put my all into it. Uh, and this is just me with sport. I don't want my lady to listen to this and think this is me with people too. But this is me <laughs> with sport. When I find something, I want to put my all into it um, and, and really get as good as I can with it and learn as much as I can with it. Uh, but I, I always want to do something that I truly enjoy. Mm-hmm. And if I honestly find something athletically that I like way more than jujitsu, I I wouldn't mind still training jujitsu, but not having that be the main focus. But but to be perfectly honest, like the main reason I started doing jujitsu was because it allowed me to use my body in the way that I've wanted to since I've stopped playing soccer. 
you know, with, with powerlifting, they're, they're the main movements. But at a certain point, you'll get so proficient with those movements that it's just, it's just a, a progression with the same thing, Yeah, which is, which is good. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I wanted to do more. And with bodybuilding, again, it's still a progression with a lot of the same things. Um, and I didn't mind that. But with soccer, you could learn all these different tricks. You could. There's so many different things that you can do, although you are then limited to having to train with a team. But then with jujitsu, yeah, you got to train with another person, but the technique is endless. Mm -hmm. Like there are like there are so many ways for an individual to submit me. There, there, there's countless ways that they can get to me tapping. Uh, and it's just this constant puzzle that I don't think I'm going to ever be able to fully solve. That's what really drew me in. Um, the thing that really drew me in was just getting beat up by guys that were 150, 160 pounds. That sounds kind of weird. There's, trust me, people, if you're listening to this, there's no kinky stuff behind it. It was just kind of crazy that I was 260 getting beat up by somebody who's 100 pounds lighter than me. I yeah. didn't think that that was possible, but they were ragdolling me. And in the, in the back of my head, I'm just like, this is the most frustrating thing <laughs> ever. But if I can learn what these guys know, these guys that are half my size, kicking my ass, if I can learn this, uh, that, that this could be super effective, right? Yeah, that, so, that appeals to me for sure. I mean, I like the idea. I mean, you talk to any jiu-jitsu master and it's like there's people that that just demolish them still. Like, there's always somebody that's going to force you to grow, which is a very appealing concept. I, I just got finished reading Atomic Habits by James Clear. Have you ever read that one? Yeah, I've read that. Amazing book. But one of the things that really stuck out to me is he said that if you interview a lot of the, the masters in their craft, they'll say that one of the reasons they're so, they excel in that thing is because they've learned to embrace the boredom of whatever that craft is for a significant period of time. And yeah. when you look at bodybuilding, for instance, like I love bodybuilding. I've been doing it for, you know, 15 years now, I guess. Uh, I love it and I'll always learn more about it. But like you said, there's a point in which a bicep curl is just a bicep curl. You can learn to, you know, t twist your wrists and your elbows in a little bit more, a little differently and, and stimulate the muscle in a little bit different way, but it's still a bicep curl. And like at a point, you're going to have to just either embrace the fact that you're going to have to just, you know, be consistently going through those years that can become bored or you're going to excel with something else and, and, and deviate and do something new entirely and have kind of like this jack-of-all-trades philosophy. But it's interesting because one's not right or wrong. It's just totally different. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll say this, though. I'll definitely say this because what you said, um, that question about the jack-of-all-trades, Mm -hmm. That I thought about that in the past because when I when I when I put myself in my shoes after I finished Worlds um, and I got I got fifth, like after that there was a there was a fire that I had that I was like I'm gonna come back here I'm gonna smash all of these guys mm -hmm. uh, and, and that was my goal at that point right but it's interesting to me how easily I let go of that goal when I found jujitsu. It's like, uh, hey, I, I, I get this question all the time. When are you going to hit the stage? When you get this stage? It's like, when I feel the fire again, to be perfectly honest, because when I found jujitsu and I started competing in it and, and I started doing it, it's like the fire that I have here is, is, the, is, is the fire that I had when I was playing soccer and I was trying to go for it. It's the fire that I had when um, I 
finished Worlds and I wanted to come back to Worlds two years later and I wanted to wreck everyone that beat me. Mm-hmm. That, that, this is the fire that I have with this right now. So I definitely want to get to a point of, and the funny thing is like, everybody says you'll never really master jujitsu. But the thing is, is like, that's oddly true. Um, I'm never going to master it, but I want to get to a point of, of such proficiency that I can compete at the highest level. Um, and that I, 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 I can have some mastery of it because when, when I look at, when I look at bodybuilding, I'm not going to, I'm not like a, um, a master of bodybuilding, mm-hmm. but I've, I was able and I, I, I've been able at this point to build a physique that I am very, that I personally am super happy with. Like I, when I was focused on the sport, I was like, okay, my triceps definitely need to get bigger. Um, I can definitely work a little bit more on my hamstrings, but my triceps and my rear delts are those, those spots that I have to try and improve if I'm going to come back and a bit of my biceps too. Like that was the things I was trying to improve because I wanted to get to a point of mastery on stage. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm totally happy with the way I look right now. There's, there's nothing that I'm trying to bring up. I don't, I don't feel that way. As far as strength and powerlifting concerned, like I'm happy with the level of, of strength I have now now um because it complements what i'm doing but everything that i have complements the thing that's at the pinnacle of my athletic focus which is jujitsu with jujitsu um it's just there's there's so much like even my professor cassio he's he won worlds in 2001 like the 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 full-on ibjjf worlds he he so he's a world champion in 2001 he's won masters worlds for like five to six years in a row He's been doing jujitsu since he was 16, I think. And he's like 45 now, so 29 years. Um, and there are still things that he's learning. Mm-hmm. Like like legitimately positions that he's finding little things that are that make more sense. Because the, the martial art continues to improve and change. There are different types of guards that people are learning how to do. Like the barambolo, the lapel guard. These are new things that change the martial art. Uh, and I don't see that in, in other, in other sports necessarily. Like I can't compare anything in soccer. Like there are certain people that are super good at certain things in soccer, but the sport hasn't necessarily, I guess, totally evolved in bodybuilding. The concepts are there to get big, but evolution isn't necessarily there. Strength sports it's again, it's like this, there's, there's nothing that's coming into the picture that's throwing it on its head, but with martial arts, with, with, especially with jujitsu, because there's so many aspects of it, there are guys that are coming in like, uh, the, the, the Donna, her death squad over in New York, right? There are these group of Americans and Gordon Ryan, who only trained jujitsu for four years in, in, without the gi. He's wrecked the top guys in the world. He's the best no-gi athlete in the world because of the way that they approach jujitsu. In four years, he's beating guys who have, who, who have been training for decades, right? Because of the way that they approach the martial arts. So it's like, that, that's why it's so exciting to me as an athlete because it's just this, this it, it's wanting to master something that's all, like almost impossible to master. Yeah, that that's that's exciting. I mean, that that's a challenge for sure. You have to basically be an intellectual to be competitive in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is not necessarily the case for a lot of other sports. I mean, when you look at what all is involved in it, and I'm, 
I, I don't know anything about jujitsu. I just know a lot of people that do it, and I just have utmost respect for the type of people that do it because it requires a certain degree of just thought, and that that's impressive to me. Yeah, man. Like th- that's the thing. It's like there there are these memes of a. Uh just like a guy, a really small guy with some glasses on. And it's like, this is the guy that's going to wreck you in a jujitsu class. <laughs> and to be honest, that it, there is a lot of truth to that. Um, I know some guys where outside of jujitsu, <laughs> like you'll see them and they'll just look like the most nonchalant, chill dudes. Maybe they're a little bit hunched over walking around, right? But when you get on the mats, they'll tap you in 30, 40 different ways and there's mm-hmm. nothing you can do about it. And that's amazing. I like the fact that I can't just go in as some muscle-bound freak and <laughs> and have my way with people. That I find it, it's it's fun because that I want to figure that out. It doesn't matter. Like at a, yes, if I have the same skill as this person, right? If I'm able to attain that skill and then I have the physical uh, competency, okay, I'll probably win more times at, like more times out of ten. Right. But if my genetics are not just going to allow me to come in and ragdoll. And that's, I think that's a great aspect of the sport. Did you know that going into it or did you kind of have some ego coming from the bodybuilding powerlifting background with a lot more frame, a lot more muscle in your frame than the other competitors? So there's a guy named Neho at my gym. He's 6'8", 6'8", 300 pounds, decent shape. Uh, On the first night I went in, he was there and he was training. He was a purple belt at the time. I saw him beat some people, but I also saw Cassio beat him. Cassio's mm-hmm. was at the time maybe like 180, uh, 5'10", 5'9", and Cassio was just just, just whomping this 300-pound man, 6'8". <laughs> and when I saw that, I was just like, wait up, how is this possible? And I saw it with a few other people. I saw a lot of the, 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 the much smaller guys in the gym just really wrecking every type of body that came their way, no matter how big they were. And then that's where I was just like, Yo, these guys could probably wreck me in that same way. I want to learn this because, it, like, like yeah, your physicality does play a factor, but if you don't have the skill, you're not gonna ever win by luck. Like that's one, that's one thing. It doesn't matter how big and strong you are. If someone's actually better than you, you're not gonna win by luck. You're not yeah. gonna just get them in something. There's no way, right? And that's very intriguing to me. So, so when I went in, I think. Uh, People were expecting me to have ego, but every time I got beat, the, the big thing that I think uh, allowed progress to happen faster was because I would always ask after each round what I needed to do or what I should have done to escape this. Um, I always had a dialogue about that, which allowed me to kind of just pick up on things a little bit faster. Uh, and yeah, people at that point, because in jujitsu, a lot of guys are usually scared of rolling with a new big guy because they tend to be spazzy and they tend to just try to uh, like use manhandle their size you. Yeah, try to manhandle you, and that can be very dangerous when you don't know how to move your body the right way, right? <laughs> um, so people were initially scared to roll with me, but when they when they found that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't trying to just mollywop them, mm-hmm. they were more comfortable with rolling with me and teaching me. I feel like combative sports. It like answers this, it scratches this primal, you know, itch that we have as humans, but especially as men, that if you're if you're not I mean, we live in a day and age where like you don't have to really be competitive in most situations. But I feel like that would, would really satisfy that that urge, that like primal urge that we've evolved to to carry. 
but we don't really have an outlet for in, in most modern day society. Did you notice any of that happening? My guy hit the nail on the head, Rob. <laughs> like you really hit the nail on the head there. You know, I, I mentioned that I was trying to think of a martial art to do. Um, I thought of boxing, but straight up, I, I, I realized uh, you can't really spar that much because mm-hmm. you can't be getting in the head that often. That's why my mom didn't let me play football in high school because she's like, I'm not letting you, you know, I'm not letting you get hit like that, like that often. I don't want you having brain damage. So I was like, okay, maybe trying to get really good at boxing isn't the greatest thing. But with jujitsu, man, it allows you to go in and spar. At, you can spar at 100%, meaning you're putting your all into sparring with another person. You could submit them or you'll probably, you'll, you, you may get choked and arm barred and leg locked. But you can do all of that at 100% without getting injured, especially if you have good training partners. Um, and there is no, uh, other than maybe even wrestling, you're not, you're not really submitting, you're just pinning people. I've never really put in much thought to other martial arts that can allow you to spar and come out fairly unscathed. Mm-hmm. But jujitsu is that martial art because the nature of which you're having to submit and, and win, the nature of which you, you have to win right um there, there's n- i can't imagine another outlet like that that allow you to really do that to another human being and come out without being injured um so it, it is something else when you especially the first time you get choked out or you know the first time you're put in that situation where you actually have to you have to tap and you're like i submit um the, it, the first few times it's really like god dang this is embarrassing mm-hmm <laughs> Really, it really can be fairly embarrassing because you're you're in, the, in those two taps or multiple taps, however long it takes for them to let go of this mission. You're literally telling this person, "You could have killed me, but I need you to stop because I, there's no way I can I can't come out of this. Um, I, like I need you to stop, please. I beg you. That's what you're saying with those taps, and it, it feels bad. But then, as you start getting better and as you start learning more, you don't look at that in the same way. You you, you don't like tapping. But at the end of the day, like it drives you to get better. And there, there is something I can't explain psychologically that um, what that does to a person. Pos- I think it's definitely a positive, but I think uh, I look at things differently and I can't explain why. But there's something to going in, getting, especially in the beginning, getting beat up multiple times, um, going home and coming back the next day and repeating. Because as a white belt and for the first few months or years, a majority of your training partners are just going to give you the business and there's nothing you can do about it but learn. That's awesome, man. It's, it's got to feel similar to like the camaraderie you feel when you're on stage at, at Worlds and you're you're getting your placing called out and you look at the people that have beat you and you, you can see that they have earned that higher placing. You have utmost respect for them, but you're just motivated to come back even better and better you know, the next time. And every time you tap out, it's probably a similar sensation. Yeah. Yeah, because, you, you know, like, especially when you've been training for people for a while, like, most most of your training partners aren't going to be malicious. Like, mm-hmm. there will be some competitive nature there, but uh, everyone's trying to be there to help each other learn, right? Um, and, yeah, there, there, there is that camaraderie when it, when it comes to, to jiu-jitsu. But, you know, I think that one thing that would be good for everyone to do, it doesn't need to be jiu-jitsu that you do, but it needs to, it should be something maybe that you don't have much experience with. One of the big takeaways that I've had from jujitsu is the idea as an adult of picking something up new and 
taking a whack at it and and really learning at it without quitting, without being disappointed. There will be disappointment, but without quitting, just like doing it over and over, failing constantly until you have one win and then two wins. And then slowly you just start piling on those wins because you've put in the time. Um, The reason why I say that is because, you know, all the things that I've done athletically, like uh, soccer, I did that for a long time. I started doing lifting, but then I moved into bodybuilding. And at that point I was already lifting for like nine years, mm-hmm. right? So bodybuilding, stepping on stage the first time was different. It was new, but it wasn't something that was totally foreign. The posing aspect was, but the training aspect wasn't. Powerlifting wasn't totally foreign. I was already training a long time before I started focusing on powerlifting. So it's not like it was totally new to learn that. Um, you know, I, I think it was a long time that I did something totally that I had no talent with, uh, before I started jujitsu. And then that was one, I, I really want to remember an experience that I had in adulthood that was just like doing something totally foreign and getting good at it. But I think that was like the main thing that I started at 23. That was just, I was just like, wow, I have no skill here. Like literally none. I, I, I don't have any skill. I got to really, really start from the absolute bottom. Um, and, and going through that again, I think helped me start doing newer things um, now and being comfortable being totally new at it and not having any experience with it and just getting better. Uh, as adults, I think we have, uh, unless you, were, you had a great childhood where through failure, you were encouraged meaning like you failed at something and that wasn't looked down upon more so it was looked at as, as a learning experience. Unless you, you had that growth mindset as a kid, most of us adults don't have a growth mindset. When we fail at something, we kind of want to stray away from it a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. But I yeah. think jujitsu has really helped me get better at being absolutely okay with just failure to any extent and coming back and doing something again and failing at it. And coming back and doing it again and failing at it. Um, I think that's one big thing that I've been able to take away at it that's had a very good effect on everything else in my life. Yeah, I, I can definitely see that, man. I mean, when you when you pick apart why people are successful, I think one of the main underlying traits is just having utmost self-awareness and knowing what your natural skill sets are, but then mm. being honest enough with yourself to understand and recognize when you don't have something figured out but being okay and embracing that challenge and knowing that you have the drive and determination to figure it out and get better at it day after day after day. Like if you have that, if you possess that trait, then I feel like, you know, you truly can do anything you want to in life. Of course. Yeah. That, that's, that's all we need. That's, that's really all you need. But it's again, just having the patience to, to, to go through that phase. You know, it's just like when, when you were, you asked about the steroid question, like, why didn't I do that? Well, as a kid, I was naive. You know, um, you're not naive as an adult when you're bad at something. Mm-hmm. You're not naive at all. But when you're a kid and you're starting something, well, every other kid is just as bad. There might be some that are, uh, you know, that they have some natural affinity and for some reason they're, they're whiz kids. But a lot of the other kids are at the same level as you. So you don't feel like such a, you know, you don't think about it. But we think a lot about these things as adults. We think about how hard something's going to be when we start it. We think about how much we have to fail or we think about the failures we had and then it just causes us to stop because we're too damn aware. Um, but if, if you can just 
again, learn to embrace that. Learn that there's really nothing wrong with sucking, <laughs> wrong with failing at something multiple times before you have your first little win. Uh, there's, there's strength in that. Like straight up, I think the first time I submitted someone in jiu-jitsu was like five months into training. Mm-hmm. That's when I got my first actual submission, meaning that they weren't letting me work it. They actually just like, I got it on my own. <laughs> and that was five months in, I had my first little win, right? So, um, it's humbling, that, man. It is. It really is humbling. It's awesome. You're making me, you're making me hungry for it. I'm going to have to give this a, give this a whirl for sure. Man, you, you, you should just pull the trigger whenever, when you can, or when school's open around you. I, I feel like it definitely, especially if you handle it the right way, it won't take away from your bodybuilding aspirations. Um, you, you eat enough food, all of that. You're, you're going to be good. You're going to be fine. We're, we're building a gym. We, we just purchased a building and we're building a, a gym inside of it, but I've, it's going to be twice as big as our current gym. And I'm, I'm literally planning out and drawing out the plans right now. And I've got an entire corner carved out for a mat so that I can have it on the premises because I, I know this yeah. is something I want to pursue and I just haven't yet, but I'm setting myself up for success to make it a, a daily r- ritual for me, basically. Yeah, that, that, that'd be awesome. Having your own, no, having your own mats there. If you have some training partners too, that'll be super fun. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. But Mark set up some mats here too with some boxing bags and stuff. So uh, I don't think anyone, we no one has really used it here that much. But hopefully when uh, more guys here start doing some jujitsu, because some have voiced that they've wanted to. And Drew, we'll be here to get more sparring down here. We're here to get more sparring down here. Well, that's awesome. Man. I'll swing by and let you kick my ass for a day or two. <laughs> Hey man, I, I, I ain't gonna go bad. I ain't gonna go that hard on you. <laughs> well, then, same man. I could sit here and talk to you all day long, brother. But we're already more than an hour in. I know you got a busy schedule, but let's definitely keep in touch, man. I mean, I I respect what all you got going on in the space, and I mean, you're kicking butt at everything you're doing, and you're just you're you're an intelligent individual that's that knows who they are and what they're doing, and I appreciate that. I admire that, and I don't know the more people I can have like that in my corner, the better. Hey man, thank you. I really thank you for uh, having me on here. It was super fun. Uh, I love those bricks. Mark and I were talking about it the other day. Uh, they are the, the fact when I first ate that first brick, I was like, I'm gonna poop my brains out. And the fact <laughs> that that's never happened is extremely impressive on your end because uh, like <laughs> that much fat in a brick, and you don't you don't end up having diarrhea. It, it's it's a win win. Yeah, man. Well, shoot, I've got some some new flavors in the works, man. I'll send you some. The favorite one so far is peanut butter. Nothing can nothing matches peanut butter. The others are good, but peanut butter just seems to be the, the winner there. That so. is definitely the crowd favorite, but we've we've got some we've got some formulations in the world right now that I think may topple it. All right, sick. It's good to hear about. Well, and Zima, where can people go to, to find out more about you, man? Yeah, well, I'm on YouTube and Instagram at Nsima Inyang. That's just my name. I got some like stretching videos on YouTube if you guys want to get some mobility in. I'm over here at Mark Bell's Power Project where we have a lot of cool people on. It's fun. Uh, do another podcast called We Don't Know Yet with a buddy of mine from childhood. Uh, we just talk about general stuff. It's cool. We talked about simping on one of our one of our podcasts recently, which is interesting. Simping? Um, what is simping? Simping? Yeah, simping. S-I-M-P-I-N-G. You know what that is? No, I have no idea. You do? No, I've never heard of it before. Simping. Okay. Okay. <laughs> quick, quick primer on simping as this is it's quite interesting. Simping is when um, uh, <laughs> Andrew's over here and he's laughing. Simping is when um, a, a man has 
absolute like subservience to a uh, 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 a woman, right? And like <laughs> it's like it's like there is no there is no internal pride. You will do anything and and when I say anything, I don't mean like being a good husband and sacrificing for your wife. I mean that you lose your dignity <laughs> to try to get the attention of a woman simping. This is a very, very quick primer on that. And, and women can simp for men too, but, but simping in general is what we spoke about in the last one. It was fun. <laughs> I'm broadening my vocabulary today. <laughs> yeah, just, just Google search it. I'm pretty sure Urban Dictionary will have some fun little quotes of uh, the word simp or simping being used. And uh, yeah, lastly, if you guys are interested, you can find me at www.breakthebar.com. Uh, if you want to get a little shreddy shreddy going or if you need some help on strength training and all that good stuff. So yeah, that's all. That's it. Awesome, man. Well, I'll link out to that and just keep killing it, brother. I appreciate the conversation. Appreciate the time and let's definitely keep in touch, man. Yeah. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate you, man. Take care, bud. All right. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs>